Hello, BitMartians. Nathan here with a special product announcement. BitMart has just come out with a brand new NFT collection that lets you vote on which projects you want to see listed on your favorite exchange. It's called Vote to Earn, and it's just like it sounds. With this special NFT, you can vote for potential projects to be listed on BitMart and earn special airdrops if those projects meet the voting threshold. Check out BitMart's NFT marketplace today to snag yours. Now, back to the podcast. It's time once again for the minor leagues. Hello, everybody. For some reason, I'm your host, Matt Ryan. 570 OBP, zero batting average, but number one in the scorebooks and in your heart. Joining me, as always, he is the lovely, talented host of Crypto Conversations and has brought us our first minor leagues guest, and that is Nathan Simone. Nathan, how are you, friend? Perfect, because we do, in fact, have our first guest on the show here, and he is a perfect guest. I've tried to only learn a little bit about him because I like to have these conversations on the shows just like I do at the AMAs, but we have Nick Garland here, professional baseball player, now turned Bitcoin advocate, miner, all those sorts of things. We're going to talk to him in just a little bit, Matt, but I just wanted to let everybody know here that's watching the video. Sorry about it if you're podcast listeners. I got my orange shirt on because we're going to be talking about Bitcoin today. Matt, I hope that you're excited that we're going to be talking about baseball today because I- as you know... You know, I can't really talk about it that you as, as much as you want. I can say that I went to my first Rockies game last week, but uh, I can't elucidate any more than that. So I'm really happy to have Nick here to, you know, give you a little bit more. And we're going to talk to him in just one second here. But it's perfect, too, because, Matt, when we started the minor leagues, we build it as the intersection of the intersection between sports and crypto. And I'll be honest with you. I didn't know how many guests we were going to get or if we were ever going to get any because we read about these things in the headlines that sports and crypto, they're becoming intertwined, but it's usually for famous people. And I was like, well, maybe Tom Brady will come on the show, but I'm probably (laughs) not going to bank on it. So I'm just super happy that as sports and crypto continue to evolve together, we are hopefully going to get more guests like this, have interesting conversations, and I'm super excited to talk to Nick. What about you, Matt? Same here. I'm not too excited to talk about baseball after the Mets gave up the National League East to the Atlanta Braves, getting swept because God is dead. But it is awesome to have you here, Nick. Nick, give us a little bit of your background. How did you fall in love with crypto? You've, you know, you were a collegiate baseball player, spent time in a few different systems and uh, played for the Long Island Ducks. You're from Massapequa. So, Give us a little bit of your background, how you fell in love with Bitcoin, and what brings us to your brand new product out there with Simple. SimpleMining.io is the website. Cool. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Um, Don't really have like a crazy story or anything like that as far as what led me to Bitcoin or probably the same thing for for a lot of people. Lost a lot of money trading shit coins and and doing some probably stupid things, um, you know, but ultimately led me to Bitcoin and, uh, you know, being a minor league baseball player, um, I'm sure if you're into baseball, you know, we don't get paid much and i um, kind of got home last off season um, after being released from the twins and, you know, I was looking for, was still playing ball, was still training in the off season, but um, needed, needed to find something to do remote um, for work. Cause once you're in season, you know, it's, it's very tough in season to, uh, you know, pay for bats, pay for food, pay for food, you know, gas, everything else. So, um, you know, looked at some different sales opportunities, didn't find anything I liked. And then kind of stumbled across mining with my brother as a, I was a client actually first with the company I'm with now and um, ended up taking a position as a full-time sales, uh, really sales manager for the company. So uh, yeah, not, not anything overly crazy. Um, I should have worn my, uh, I have a Perth Heat Australian Baseball League Bitcoin jersey that actually uh, their CEO gave to me at the Miami conference a couple of months ago. I should have worn that for this uh, for this <laughs> podcast, but I, uh, I, I, I dropped the ball on that one. But yeah, no, nothing, nothing overly crazy. I mean, definitely been a challenge. Um, you know, I'm kind of known as like, I'm sure there's all a bunch of different names people call me in the locker room for, you know, I'm always, I'll, I'll have my laptop in the locker room or, or, you know, be working before the game or different things, but it's, you know, for me, it was a challenge this year, you know, because for me, it's clear as day what Bitcoin is and and trying to get guys to understand what that is. Um, 
not even from a sales perspective, not trying to sell friends or family, just, you know, getting away from the dollar and putting your money into some different things, uh, you know, not investment advice, but, uh, you know, Bitcoin is just the education piece is just not there. And I think, you know, you guys talking about the intersection of athletes and Bitcoin, um, there are a bunch of athletes in different sports involved in it, um, whether it's a promotional thing or they're actually, they actually believe in it, but the barrier to entry is still very high, I think. And it's, uh, you know, it's something that hopefully will improve with some time here. Yeah, there is a lot of, and you see stories all the time about players who get into deep with bad financial management, risky investments, risk, you know, investing in what you call shit coins or just, you know, shitty investments overall. There are thousands of athletes who fall in that way. What are some of the things that you've seen as you've gone on your own financial journey to work with this company in Simple? What are some of the things you've seen that you might not have seen in a major league or pro baseball locker room three to five years ago? Uh, if you don't mind, just give me, give me a little more clarity on that question. So, so just like making different financial moves, like is there anything in the minor league or independent league system that can teach people about crypto or, you know, stabilizing their finances or are these journeys that a lot of players still have to make on their own? Yeah. Well, yeah. From a, if you're talking specifically about players in the locker room, um, again, you know, you look at minor leagues in baseball, and I think they just unionized for next year, but did it? Um, salaries are just, I, I mean, you're making a thousand dollars a month after taxes and food, and you know, you got to pay your clubby for laundry and, and different mm-hmm. things. So um, you're really not taking home much. I mean, when I was in, um, I was with the Twins last year, and we had to pay for housing, we had to pay for everything, and they take care of you at the ballpark with food and. Um, but you're really breaking even, uh, breaking even after, uh, you know, if you have a car to pay for, maybe some people have a family at home or different things. So a lot of people don't really have any sort of, there is no financial decisions to make. It's just, I need to survive. I need to go drive Uber Eats. You, you've heard of guys like, uh, you know, Dobnak with the twins and, and just different guys that they'll, they'll drive Uber Eats to make some money on the side. So I think it's something when guys are done playing more. So I've seen, they don't know what to do. And it's like, you know, what do I get into? How do I make money? Um, they give baseball lessons or something, but you know, how sustainable is that? So, um, it's, it's definitely a tough conversation. It's an easier conversation for the guys in the big leagues that are making, you know, four or $5,000 a game or or whatever it is. So, um, at the minor league level, and, you know, I think this kind of goes for everybody. It's, you don't need $20,000 to buy Bitcoin. You can DCA with a dollar a day. You could buy $5 a day. You could, you could still allocate money towards different things. Uh, you know, even with a smaller budget. Um, and, and save some money. So by no means, I'm not a financial advisor. I don't try to like tell people what to do with their money, but I think more so I see more guys, you know, they go out and party on a Friday, Saturday night, you know, we're out in some, some nice city playing ball and they'll spend $400 and, you know, then they complain they don't have money to, to do something else. So, um, you know, I think there's definitely ways people can be smarter about their money, but um, it's, it's very tough at that at that level, you know, in the minor leagues, you know, you're grinding every day um, and you, you don't have the cash to kind of make those decisions. So a lot of guys are just, you know, they're struggling just to get by in a lot of, in a lot of ways. And go ahead, Nathan. Real quick, Matt, you know, I'm so glad that you brought that up, Nick, because like I said, I'm a uh, self-professed ignorant about lots of sports uh, just because I haven't been a huge sports guy growing up, but I think this is really interesting. You talking about being in the minor leagues and how little money you actually make, because I think when people hear the term professional baseball player, not only do they assume that every baseball player is like in the major league, or something like that. Cause I think that people forget that the minor leagues even exist, but they forget that being a minor leagues player is almost a little bit like a passion project. Like when you described what the budget is like to me, I immediately thought, of people that I had known in Denver that were stand-up comedians, right? Where they were just like, we love to do it. We make this much, we grind hard, we love what we do. But at the end of the month, if you're breaking even, like you're doing, you're killing it, right? Which to most people, when they think about careers, building their lives, building their families, things like that, they wanna do better than breaking even. So you talking about how you can DCA into Bitcoin and, you know, if you really understand the promise of Bitcoin and you're really convinced as, about Bitcoin as I am and as are many, many other people, why wouldn't you want to DCA into the hardest money that humanity has ever created that has been a proven savings technology? And so I 
I'm, I'm also more so interested, um, depending on the question that Matt had, I'm also more so interested in, in because I'm, I don't know anything about baseball culture, like we said, inside the locker room and all that, I, I see the skepticism that's out there in the real world whenever I just tell people to DCA into Bitcoin or, you know, look it up, understand the promise, things like that. But I have to understand that it might be an even more foreign thing to guys in baseball, you said, who not only do they maybe not have the greatest grip on their finances, just and they're also not making a lot, but the sports world and the technology world are not necessarily joined at the hip, right? They're kind of two distinct sections of the brain, and they can be sometimes difficult to to parse out. That's why I like doing this show with Matt, because it's kind of kind of yin and yang, right? So what do you... Um, I'm interested, like when you try and tell other baseball players or other guys in the baseball world about Bitcoin, about Satoshi Nakamoto, about about essentially like a kind of a revolution that's happening before our eyes and that they can DCA into this. What is kind of the response? What's like the climate that you're getting? I'm interested in that. Yeah, you know, I, I don't really, I really don't bring it up. Um, usually other guys will come up to me and be like, hey man, like, is it a good time to buy Bitcoin? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's always a good time in my opinion, you know, and there's a lot of guys, I think, and a lot of people in general, but I think guys in the clubhouse go hand in hand with your buddies at the gym or, or whatever. So, um, you know, the most common thing I get is, hey, is it a good time to buy? Or like, hey, what do you think about Ethereum? Or, and I'm sure you know my answer to that, but, um, you know, it's, it's, there's a lack of knowledge about what Bitcoin is. And, and like, for me personally, you know, I always traded different things. I traded Dogecoin, I bought Dogecoin, like all these different coins, XRP, everything under the sun. Um, you know, and, and I was always being younger um, and not making a lot of money playing ball. I'm like, okay, I'm going to take a couple thousand dollars, put them into a penny stock, put them into some cheap crypto, cheap NFT, and try to hundred times my investment. And you always end up losing everything. So it's, you know, taking that mindset, the end goal was always to buy more Bitcoin, mm -hmm. but I always saw Bitcoin as, you know, it's not as volatile to the upside. It's, it's, I can make a hundred times my investment on a penny stock on, you know, some scam crypto, um, you know, that, you know, I don't know, someone, some influence, influencer gets behind and I get lucky or I could buy Bitcoin and make 10% until I really, you know, got into mining. That's when I understood what Bitcoin was. And, and it was recent. It was, it was a little over a year ago um, when I understood just kind of the, what, what Bitcoin is. Um, and I feel like if you're into mining, even if you don't have the best understanding of it, you have a little more understanding, um, you know, cause you're, it's, it's when you understand how mining works, you understand the supply cap on Bitcoin, you understand how the halving works, it starts to make sense. Um, and you know, that's kind of what accelerated my, uh, you know, I, I went very quickly from kind of like a shit coiner with the end game of being Bitcoin to just the full blown Bitcoin maxi. And I, my brother, he, he's like a Dogecoin maxi and we fight all the time. And he's like, you're becoming like a full maxi. I can't even talk to you anymore. And it's, it's, I feel like once you go down the rabbit hole, it's very tough. Cause like, I just, I, I went into a gold and silver shop the other day. Um, Cause I have a buddy who's telling me I need to buy silver. So sure. I went into there and had like a hour argument with the guy <laughs> about why I thought Bitcoin was a better investment than gold and silver. It's just, it's the main thing you hear from people is like, Oh, Bitcoin's down 70% or, Hey, like, you know, people don't realize like, Hey, it's still the number one performing asset of the last decade. It's, it's, there's still a lot of, you know, you look at your dollar value and I'm sure you have the same discussion with your friends or family. And, um, you know, I have parents who believe cash is king and mm -hmm. friends on teams, cash is king, cash is king. You know, they have their money in a savings account. It's like your value, your dollars are still there. You have $10,000. You have, you still always have 10,000, but the value of that dollar is going to be guaranteed to be substantially less over time. So when you start seeing the value of your dollar at the supermarket, the gas station, different places buy you less, I think it starts to open some eyes, especially now in kind of more an inflationary environment. People are realizing, man, like I need a lot more money to do the things I, I was doing every day five years ago. So uh, yeah, hopefully that answers your question. I, I really think guys in the locker room go hand in hand with kind of the same conversations I have with people off the field um, as far as, you know, what Bitcoin is and um, it's just, you walk into a bar with a hundred people, there's probably 98 people that have heard of Bitcoin, but two that actually understand. And sure. it's, the, oh, yeah. it's the same in the, it's the same in the locker room. So uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's a challenge I think for everybody. And you guys are doing this, this podcast here and probably trying to educate more people just like I'm doing on my end. And I think the more people that kind of 
take on that mentor role, that kind of teaching role and just informing people what Bitcoin is, I think, you know, eventually we'll, you know, we'll get to, we'll get to where we need to be. Matt, you had a question before I rudely interrupted you. Matt, you're muted. I, you know, cause I was, I was talking too much, Nathan. You interrupted me because I was talking too much and I muted myself and I'm so stupid that I forgot I muted myself. We're keeping yeah, this in the show. Yeah. Um, but when you were talking about the issues with the minor leagues and the payment structure and things like that, do you feel that an alternative, like we have the Atlantic League, do you think the privatization of and that separation between minor league and major league clubs needs to happen because that could facilitate better salaries, more growth, and, you know, it kind of decentralizes baseball for the last almost a century since Branch Rickey created the modern minor league system. There's been a real constraint on other minor leagues or independent leagues being able to grow. Much like decentralized finance, do you think different different groups or more independent owners in minor league baseball would facilitate change and growth and give you guys more opportunities to play and more opportunities to make a living playing baseball. Yeah. You know, I think my answer to that, um, I, I never played baseball for money. Uh, my goal is never to make the major leagues to, to make a lot of money. Uh, I just love playing. Um, and I think there's a lot of guys, their goal is to make it to the big leagues one day and get that paycheck, which would be awesome. But, um, even get, you have to stay there to get that paycheck, you know, staying up for a year and making some money, you know, and getting hit with a bunch of taxes, you know, what are you really taking home at the end of the day? So, um, you know, unfortunately what's kind of happened. So in COVID, um, I was like, I was with the twins for instance, in COVID and, and they cut down a bunch of teams, um, due to COVID and finance, different financial issues, I guess, with, you know, cutting down the minor leagues. And I had a lot of really talented friends that probably would be in the big leagues today that got cut. And they cut like 1,200 players. And I think they cut more teams this year. And I think they're planning on cutting more players next year. So what's going to end up happening, which is which is pretty sad for the game, and I think it's going to kind of stunt the growth of the game a little bit. Um, you know, you train your whole life to get to the minor leagues, not, not to make a lot of money. Um, you have the rest of your life to kind of do that, I think, in my opinion. Um, but what's happening is they're going to cut down on, organ on teams, on players, to, to reduce their expenses so they can end up paying players a little more. Um, and I'm not totally intertwined with the politics with it and, and kind of to answer your question, I, I don't really know what the best answer is. Um, I would actually like to see them bring some of those teams back, um, and give more players an opportunity. I mean, they, they cut the draft in half. There's a lot of close friends of mine that have missed out on the draft and, and different things they've trained their whole life for, because, uh, you know, whatever, whatever they're doing, you know, with whatever major league baseball decided to do with kind of just lessening the number of players they're going to have. Um, so what I would like to see, and I think they've started to do that this year more so they're paying for housing, you know, just, just make, make the experience of playing baseball free almost. You shouldn't, I should, players shouldn't have to pay for housing, which I don't think they are anymore. Um, players shouldn't have to pay for food. Kind of all your expenses, equipment should be taken care of. Um, you know, and there's some guys who, you know, need money to support a family or different things like that. So I feel for those guys, but, I think for a lot of guys, it's the post-game meal. You know, it's it's they can't afford the post-game meal. You know, and maybe the meal at the ballpark's not healthy or sustainable, and you got to go Uber eat something, and that's thirty-five bucks a night. And you do that seven days a week, you're, you know, you, you're gonna you're gonna be in the negative pretty quick. So, uh, yeah, I would like I said, I I personally like to see just more expenses covered, um, which I, like I said, I think they're doing a better job of now. Um, I've been out of affiliated ball, so you have affiliated and independent, which I'm sure you're aware mm -hmm. of. So affiliated or all the major league teams have their minor league farm systems. Um, so those teams, they are doing a better job of taking care of their players. Uh, yeah. Not entirely sure I answered your question, maybe exactly how you wanted, but um, I, I would like to see them bring some more players back overall and just um, even if that meant more of a reduced salary or just not, you know, but you, you go and play, you play in some of these stadiums and there's 10,000 fans and you're, you're making, you know, less than the person working the concession stand is and you're the product on the field. You know, we're, we're the product, we're what everybody's coming to see and you're getting paid, you know, pennies on the dollar a day. So it's, it's pretty interesting when you kind of, you see some of these, these teams bringing in all this money and you're just, you know, you're a product that's, you know, really being taken advantage of. So, um, like I said, it's, 
they're doing a better job with it. Um, I guess we'll kind of, it's to be seen what's, what's going to happen with all that, but I think they're taking the right steps here. Um, you know, especially for next year. Yeah. It's kind of a shame too, because the, um, <clears throat> my experience with the few minor league games that I've gone to, uh, went to a Lake Erie captain's game, uh, when I was <laughs> many, many years ago, if you ever heard of them, sometimes the minor league games are more fun because like you said, there may be less people, but the stadiums are smaller. They're more intimate. Uh, even if for a cheap seat, you can be extremely close to the field. Uh, there seem to be less rules and uh, decorum than there is in major league baseball stadiums, perhaps because of the lack of security or overall things. Sometimes the concession stands are much better uh, and the lines are shorter. So it really is a shame that to hear you talk about the kind of struggles that minor league baseball players have. But here, I want to ask you something because we're always talking about the intersection of sports and crypto right now. So you go on about these, you know, legitimate concerns about the minor leagues. You don't get paid a lot. Um, you it's, it's probably not anything that you can support a family on. Um, if you're a younger man, that's inclined to do that. You have all these expenses. Uh, you have to pay for things like bats and clothing, which kind of seems ridiculous. ridiculous. I, I agree with you right there. Uh, uh, yeah, especially since once you once again you said you're the product. So now I want to pose to you a hypothetical, Nick. Okay, right? Let's say I'm a millionaire or a billionaire. I don't know how much it costs to have a minor league team. I hear your concerns right now on this podcast or somewhere else, and I say, you know what? That is legitimately frustrating. I I can find a way to make a profit and fix these problems. And I decide to build a team where I pay you in seventy five percent cash, twenty five percent Bitcoin. Does that attract you to the team? even if the amount is the same, if you just know that some of your salary is going to be paid in Bitcoin because of the, the different use cases around it and your belief in it, is that an attractor at all other? And sure. let's assume I'm, I'm, you know, I'm paying, you don't have to pay for bats, all those expenses you talked about. That's all, that's all taken care of as well. Sure. Yeah. You know, for me, it was all, personally, it's all about the opportunity. Um, you know, when, when you're going through college teams kind of ask you before the draft, how much do you want us to pay you to, to play baseball? So you get a signing bonus. So guys like myself coming out of a small school, um, I was a free agent, so I wasn't drafted. Um, you know, I wrote on my questionnaires, I'd, play, I'd pay you to play. You know, I'll sign for a candy bar is kind of like a saying, guys, use, you know, so I, I didn't care about the money. Um, and I still wouldn't. If the team offered me an opportunity, I'd, the money wouldn't matter to me. Um, you know, but it doesn't mean I think it's right at the same time um, on that question specifically though. So the team I played for this year was an independent team called the Sussex County miners, um, which is ironic because their name was miners and, and, you know, I mined Bitcoin. So um, I did speak with the owner a bunch, uh, especially after speaking, I forget his name, but the CEO of the, the Perth Australian team, which is in the Australian baseball league, they kind of endorsed Bitcoin and did that whole thing. So I spoke with him in Miami for a little bit, um, you know, and had some really good conversations and they kind of like, they blew up on social media, at least, um, you know, internationally, you know, everybody was talking about, I think they're paying their players in Bitcoin. And, and, you know, I spoke to our owner or our general manager this year about that. Uh, you know, I was like, Hey man, why don't, cause they're always looking for promotional opportunities and they have, you know, superhero theme night and different things. Like you were kind of saying at the, at the minor league ballpark. So I was like, Hey man, why don't you pay the players in Bitcoin? Like you could do some sort of promotional thing. You'll probably get a lot of like big shot people to, They'll be like, man, another professional team's paying their players in Bitcoin. And like, nobody knows who the Sussex County Miners is, is, you know, are. We're a very small team. It's a small budget team in the middle of nowhere. So, uh, you know, I think it wouldn't incentivize me to play for a team, but I think it would be a very good idea for, from just from a promotional standpoint alone, even if the team doesn't care about Bitcoin, um, to, to do something of that sort. Because it would, it, it from a marketing standpoint, I mean, it would probably be a, a positive thing. So. Um, I, I would personally like to see that happen more. Um, I think the main question I got was like, how do we do that? Um, yeah, and I didn't, I don't know the answer to that. And I think you could do things like strike and different things like that. I'm, I'm in New York personally, and I can't even access half of the Bitcoin apps that I'd like to use. Um, cause they, they need, um, what's it called? KYC. They, they need what's called a, a, well, no, they need a bit license. I believe. Yeah. Right. Yes. Pretty yes, strict. Yes. So there, most platforms I can't even use um, personally. So it's a, it's kind of a headache. And, uh, you know, I know there's some, some still, there's still some barriers to get through for a lot of people, but yeah, I, like I said, I don't think that'd be an incentive for players to play for a team with such minimal amount of money. Um, but I think it would be a cool promotional idea for a lot of teams to, to look into. 
Yeah. Well, Matt, Matt certainly feels for you. He's also a, a New Yorker actually in the city. And um, I, I do know that New York is, in my opinion, unnecessarily restrictive about it. But hey, everybody's free to, uh, their locale is free to make their choice about how they want to think about these things. Um, something that I wanted to ask you real quick before, we definitely want to touch on why you got into mining, because mining is a very specific subset of the Bitcoin culture. Like, for example, Michael Saylor, who's one of the biggest Bitcoin advocates, he buys Bitcoin all the time. He holds it on his balance sheet. He actually declined to get into mining once he um, once he went through like the economics of it and how much of a pain, at least, he thought it was. And there's lots of people in the Bitcoin space that they have nothing to do with mining. But before I asked you about that, um, I wanted to, you mentioned that you consider yourself a Bitcoin maximalist, which I always find interesting um, because one, people have different definitions of what a Bitcoin maximalist means. And then two, um, I'm a Bitcoin lover. I think Bitcoin is my favorite project, but I've actually never considered myself a maximalist because there is a lot of other crypto projects that I like. One that I bring up all the time is Cardano. I think anybody that's used the Cardano ecosystem We'll soon see that it is quite an amazing ecosystem. There's a reason why it's top 10. Um, I could name reasons why I don't necessarily like Ethereum, but I have some of it as an investment. I could name a lot of reasons why I'm not hugely bullish on Solana, but um, things like Cardano, Monero, um, other projects, I see them as having uses and they're crypto projects that have uses. I understand why people become Bitcoin only, especially when they're focused on monetary value. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about that, about how you consider yourself a Bitcoin maxi, how you're thinking about it, and maybe where you're coming when it comes to other crypto projects. Yeah, I think the really short answer for me uh, personally is I, I don't buy Bitcoin to make more dollars. Um, it's sure. just like a very maybe overused saying, but it's the truth. I mean, um, if there was a, financial situation, I needed to sell Bitcoin to pay my taxes or, or buy something in real life, then, then I would have to do that. But, um, you know, I'm not buying Bitcoin with the hope that it goes to $60,000 and selling it and making $40,000 in, in US dollars. So it, for me, that's the real short answer. You know, the centralization of a lot of projects scares me. Um, you see a lot of things happening. I, I don't like the idea of um, kind of the rules being able to be changed midway through the game on a lot of these projects um you know and, and obviously when there's a few and people commit people make the same argument about bitcoin that there's bigger companies that control the supply but they don't control the um the coding or, or, or the rules of bitcoin essentially which which is really the main difference um yeah you know and people say oh you have x amount of percentage of miners mining to a pool within seconds miners could switch what pool they're mining to you know there's a lot of different ways that uh, Bitcoin is just completely decentralized. Even, you know, you have hash rate centralizing in uh, the USA specifically, um, you know, but it, you kind of look at China and I think China was the best example of how strong the Bitcoin network is. Um, you had just mass centralization of miners and within a year we're, we're back at all time highs of hash rate, uh, you know, really diversified amongst the whole world. So, um, but no, you know, for me, it's, I, I think there will be some value in other um in other cryptos or, or other tokens, I, I don't know what it'll be. Um, you know, I'm sure there'll be some that, that stick around, but um, for me personally, I, I, you know, your second question, kind of why I got into mining and, and, and really Bitcoin for me, I was coming from a place of trading. You know, I was, I was the COVID day trader that thought I was a genius and I, you know, it's, uh, you know, I, I thought I was doing well. I thought I knew what I was doing and then, you know, the market flipped and, and I lost everything. So, you know, I kind of went down a dangerous path of trading penny stocks and OTC stocks and trading cryptos and NFTs. And I was like, no idea what I'm doing. Um, I need to figure something out that is a little safer for me. Um, and I started looking more just globally and like, you know, looking at fiat currency. And like, I, I really started to understand, you know, money. And, and I was like, man, this, I don't see this being around forever in, in my lifetime. And, you know, I need a way to hedge myself against that. Um, and kind of Bitcoin just opened my eyes to everything and uh, mining specifically was a way for me to just, you know, I'm not trading the market when I'm mining. Anything I mine, I don't touch. You know, I remember I, I, I bought Bitcoin a little after I started mining and I ended up trading that Bitcoin because I was still in kind of that trader mindset where I kind of separated the two is any Bitcoin I mine, I, I don't touch it. You know, it's 
that's not for trading purposes. That's a five, 10 year, 20 year outlook. Um, you know, now I don't trade any of my Bitcoin now, but that for me was kind of the, uh, the stop to trading and it was just a safer, in my opinion, investment vehicle for myself, uh, not necessarily for other people. Um, but that's, that's kind of what I felt personally. Um, I did also, I was also trying to figure out some things to do with my taxes and I like the depreciation aspect of mining, uh, personally, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's a whole bunch of different things, you know, taxes with, with mining, there's, there's different things that go on, but, uh, you know, between the bonus depreciation and just kind of the, I, I personally believe long-term I'll accumulate more Bitcoin through mining it, um, than I will buying spot. And there's no perfect answer for that. You can make an argument both ways. Um, I believe that your miner itself will still have value. Um, at some point in time where you can sell that initial, that miner for some sort of value and recoup some, some additional, um, you know, CapEx, um, uh, you know, on your investment at some point in time. So there's a lot, there's a lot of ways to look at it. I, I actually got asked the question today from someone like, would you rather buy spot or miner from someone who's looking to mine? And, and I wouldn't give him an answer. And, and I'm very reluctant to say, Hey, you should mine Bitcoin or you should buy, but I don't know the answer. If I knew the answer, I'd, I'd be on an Island somewhere and, you know, no, nobody knows. You see technical analysis every day on Twitter, like, you know, with different things and different gurus and whatnot. And you have CEOs of publicly traded companies that have no idea. You have Jim Cramer that has no idea. I mean, it's like nobody really knows. Um, and it's not it's not for me to share what, what I think is going to happen or for really anybody else to say, hey, this is what's definitely going to happen. I think you have to be bullish on Bitcoin long term, which I am. And, you know, I believe mining is just the right avenue for me to to put my fiat basically um to good use so that would be my my best answer for, for both those questions yeah and it's it's interesting so thank you for answering that about uh your particular flavor of of bitcoin maxi because there there are some people that say they won't even say that other crypto projects could have some value or some utility and um i've always you, you can learn from the extremes and people are talking at the extremes, but I've never felt myself uh, drawn to them, especially since crypto is, you know, it's a participatory technology, right? If everybody's saying how terrible something is, and then I go use it and I'm like, Hey, actually Monero is pretty good and it's totally private. And I could use it for certain things I wanted to, or, Hey, to send a NFT on Cardano is about a dollar. Whereas it's certainly not a dollar on Ethereum. Um, and it has no downtime and things like that. But Bitcoin has this very, very specific use case as a monetary good, as perhaps the hardest money that humans have ever invented. And it only is that way because of the open source protocol, because of the efforts of miners, and because of the way that electricity is uh, diverted in order to solve these complex mathematical problems. Something else I wanted to ask you about mining is, you know, something miners are continually like denigrated in the news as being they're environmentally unfriendly, they're wasting all this power, there's this, that, and the other. This is probably the 70th time you've heard this question. I know it's the 70th time I've heard it, but for the sake of Matt and other people that maybe they're just not familiar with it, could you please explain why Bitcoin mining not only is trending towards being energy efficient over time, but about how like simple mining, for example, they're located in Iowa, there's a reason why they're located in Iowa and why all the Bitcoin mining facilities are almost always located in places that either have super, super low cost electricity or electricity from places where the electricity was going to be wasted anyways. And so actually putting it into the Bitcoin network is like this amazing kind of technological evolution. Could you kind of parse that out a little bit? Yeah, no, great, great points. And, you know, definitely it's a question I get every day. Um, You know, there's a lot of FUD out there, you know, this kind of ESG narrative and, Uh, it's a shame because it's just Bitcoin is just so misunderstood. Um, And like, especially the last few weeks with the proof of stake, um, you know, Ethereum uses, you know, 99% less energy now. And it's most of those miners actually just diverted their miners to another coin. They're mining other things that that hash rate went nowhere. Um, You know, but that's not Ethereum's fault, but to me, mining is actually better for the environment. And, And really the short answer is kind of to your point, you have a lot of miners, most miners are using, energy that would have otherwise been wasted. Um, I saw a neat graphic, uh, maybe at the beginning of the year that said if California mined Bitcoin, you know, they had 14, 14% of their energy was wasted. Basically they had excess energy up to 14%. Um, and if they would have mined Bitcoin, they would have, you know, made, you know, somewhere in the, the neighborhood of like half a billion dollars or whatever it is. Don't quote me on that, but 
Um, you know, specifically where we are, we have a majority of wind energy that we're using. So Iowa actually generates the most wind energy of any state by just total percentage of energy mix. Wow. Uh, Texas, Texas actually generates the most. Okay. Um, but, you know, you kind of look at these stranded oil and gas sites that are using, um, you know, flared gas, or you look at sites like ours or, or a lot of sites in Texas, you know, using more wind energy, um, that renewable energy will be wasted if nobody uses it. And that's kind of the problem you're seeing. You know, you look at Europe and kind of a lot of the issues they're having with a lot of renewable energy is if there's no buyer for that energy, that energy gets wasted. So it's, renewable energy is very intermittent. You look at solar, you look at wind. If the wind's not blowing, if the sun's not shining, that energy, there, there's no energy production, right? And, um, you know, what miners actually allow is they, they provide a consistent buyer of that energy 24 seven. Um, so we're able to step in, you know, we tell the utility company, hey, we're going to mine Bitcoin. We're going to, you know, we're going to use your energy 24 seven, you know, every hour of the day. And basically in exchange, um, they have the ability to curtail our, our mining uh, site during, you know, really uh, when there's high demand on the grid. So you look at Texas, you see a lot of things about ERCOT, maybe in the summer, you see the CEO of Riot on CN, you know, and CNBC. Um, you know, when you kind of get these high demand um, days on the grid, when it's 100 degrees, you'll have curtailment. And really what that does is it allows the utility company to come in and say, hey, we're going to turn your miners off and, and allow the energy to be used by the grid. So miners actually help stabilize the grid, prevent blackouts and, and you know, other sorts of things, because these miners are able to be a consistent buyer of that energy, which actually allows the utility company, the, the really just the, the governments and, and um, the electricity companies to build out more renewable energy. Um, and because they're building out more renewable energy, they're actually, we're incentivizing the build out of renewable energy through mining Bitcoin. Um, so there's actually a greater demand of energy and there's a greater, um, I'm sorry, there's a greater supply of energy and there's a greater demand for that energy because the miners are able to buy it up. Um, so when the miners turn off, we're able to give that energy back to the grid. Uh, and it's, it's just, that was a really roundabout answer and, and probably could have been a little more concise on that. But no, you know, mining, it just, when I tell people we're, we're running mostly on renewable energy, they're kind of like, oh, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like, oh, that's pretty, that's pretty interesting. And, um, you know, I think there's just, you, you see the tweets around Christmas time about Christmas lights and everybody talks about that one. Like, nobody's, nobody's banning Christmas lights or, or washing machines or different things like that. So there's definitely an attack on Bitcoin. And I think it's the fear of kind of just the centralization. I mean, we're, you know, the government, the banks, they want to control the money supply. Um, and Bitcoin kind of eliminates the need for a third party, right? So um, I think there's just a massive fear and there's, a, there's an agenda that's going to be pushed against Bitcoin, even if it's false. And there's a lot of false narratives around it. So, um, you know, there definitely is a big push now. And, and Nick Carter had a really good piece that he put on Twitter a few weeks ago that it was like a 20 bullet point piece that um, if you just read that, um, you'll understand kind of really simply how Bitcoin mining um, kind of incentivizes renewable energy and why it's actually not bad for the environment and probably explains it a lot better than I just did. But, um, you know, I think that education piece is really important, especially to, um, you know, just local politicians. And, and, you know, once people understand that, it's like, man, it's okay. Mining is actually not, not bad. You know, what, what is the, what are the cons of it? Um, you know, and there's people say noise and different things like that, but a lot of these sites are located away from residential areas and, um, you know, the, the noise factor is, is negligible at, at that point. So, um, you know, you have a lot of people using the excess heat for, you have home miners that are using, you know, the heat from their miners to heat their homes or yep. um, their garden or, or whatever it is. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that narrative will change as more people just kind of open their eyes to what mining is and understanding it. But um, it's, we're still really far away away from kind of that, that learning curve taking place, I think. Um, you know, but I think it's definitely as you have more and more people understanding what that is, I think it's, I think we're slowly getting more. So. Yeah. And for everybody who just heard, uh, Nick reference, Nick Carter, he's not referencing Nick Carter of NSYNC, uh, although maybe the Backstreet boys, you dilettante. Wait, I thought it was NSYNC with Aaron Carter. No, no. Aaron no, Carter wait. was a singles artist. Nick Carter was a Backstreet boy. I could have sworn Nick Carter was NSYNC. I thought he was the N of NSYNC. We don't have to get down this tangent. Uh, we're, we're having a long talk after the show. <laughs> I just destroyed some of my credibility on this show. Anyways, so not Nick Carter of the Backstreet Boys, but Nick Carter, NIC, who's a noted, uh, he used to be a, a, 
I don't think he ever actually was a Bitcoin maxi, but he's written a quite a lot about Bitcoin. Um, I saw him speak at uh, Bitcoin 2022 in Miami as well. I'm so glad that you were able to talk about all this stuff, Nick, because you know I knew about mining for a while and I had tried to understand it as best as I could, but it still even took me going to Miami in April and listening to people that were in the industry really break it down over like an hour before it like finally clicked for me because mining to, to, you know, a lot of people is still this abstract concept where even if they fully understand Bitcoin, they're like the whole thing of like, well, the computers are like solving this math puzzle and then they're doing it and it requires all this electricity and it like people just get weirded out about it. And to your point, um, you know, I'm glad that the Ethereum merge happened that needed to happen for Ethereum, but people leave out and we actually we discussed this on another show that we have the bitmart brain trust over three episodes we discussed that ethereum never probably needed to be proof of work it probably needed to be proof of stake just like cardano and other chains because it has a fundamentally different use case than bitcoin bitcoin is essentially supposed to be the digital form of gold the most scarcest you know digital asset that has ever been invented in order to do that in order to keep that secure and keep that promise and not have it just go away with the flick of a wrist you need to have a high barrier to entry to somebody messing with the network. So that's not the case with Ethereum where they're trying to be the world's computer and have all these decentralized apps and do all this stuff cheaply and quickly and lower their crazy fees. So it's just something that I think people, maybe they want to know about it, but then they try and go and learn about it. And it quickly just becomes like, oh my gosh, like SC 19s. And like, they're having to do it in Iowa and they just get overwhelmed and they just quit. So, so you even just explaining it that little bit um, is helpful. Matt, I think you're- uh, I'm here. here. Okay, no worries. Well, Nick, last question I wanted to ask you was, you know, you are in the minor leagues. You said that, you know, you, you, it never was your intention to get to the major leagues. You just want to keep playing baseball. But I'm asking, I'm going to ask. My, my intention, my intention was to never make money playing. But no, oh, okay. the goal, I, I think the goal, you know, for everybody is, is to make it to that point. Uh, okay. You know, okay. But, yeah, I guess. Not to interrupt you. But yeah, no, go ahead. No worries. I, I guess, I guess I assume that if, you know. I don't know. What's the lowest paid player in the major leagues? I, I'm, this is how ignorant I'm about this stuff. It's still more than I make, right? Okay. We can, we can say yeah, that. Yeah, yeah I, yes. I, don't, I don't know what it is. It might be 700 or, or whatever it is now, 700,000, I would think. Uh, okay. Well, but I think that's minimum. I think that's minimum is like six, 700,000. Okay. So, you know, definitely enough to uh, go eat it. No, yeah. It's, it's, a couple of times. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's a couple of times. The, you can't get the milkshake though. The average salary is four point one million. The league minimum is seven hundred thousand. That's from uh, right. the Sun. I see. Okay. Yes. So they're able to buy uh, the proper collared shirts at Target, and they don't have to go to a uh, to Walmart. So not not my point here. My point was when I look out at the sports world and the sports headlines, the intersection of sports and crypto, you'll see some leagues where they're now accepting Bitcoin as payment, and I'm only thinking about. Um, it's soccer leagues, mostly in Europe, and it's only independent ones. But just as a baseball guy, just like Matt is, I'd actually like both your opinions on this. You know, the MLB, just like the NFL, just like the NHL, all these huge leagues, they want the promotions, they want the advantages, and they want to serve their customers best. Do you see the MLB accepting Bitcoin as payment or Bitcoin as a form of payment within their stadiums or playing pairs in Bitcoin? anytime in the near future or is this still just going to be a thing where it's like hey nick garland the baseball player he's doing well he's stacking bitcoin but it's just a personal thing how do you see baseball itself and bitcoin because you got two b's right there how do you see baseball and bitcoin eventually intertwining if at all yeah i don't know i mean obviously i think at some point in time you'll go to the grocery store and be able to to use bitcoin and and i'm sure there's part you know places in the country you can do that already um or there's certain merchants accepting it but um i don't know if that's the next step you know or or maybe it is maybe the next step is for you know big organizations big teams to come out and say hey we're accepting this and now a fan base of a couple million people are like oh what's this you know how do we use this um i think the main challenge that i see um you know is People don't understand how to store their Bitcoin. They don't know how to use their Bitcoin. It's very, 
it's very simple, but it's very complex to somebody that doesn't understand it. Um, you know, and you have, like I mentioned before, you have apps like strike that make it incredibly simple or, or lightning. Um, but you know, when you kind of get into the process of how to use your Bitcoin and getting it off the exchange and putting it into a wallet or cold storage, you know, kind of really people don't understand what that process is. And, um, I don't think we're there yet from a transactional point of view and, and transacting Bitcoin. I think there's still a lot that needs to happen first. Um, so um, I, I don't know at what point in time that happens. I think you'll see teams paying players more, maybe giving it more of an option to the players to accept Bitcoin or, or workers to accept it. Um, but from a transactional point of view, me going to the register and paying in Bitcoin, um, I, I don't know if that happens yet. And I think for me, you know, even I listened to Jack Mahler speak at a Bitcoin conference in April. Yep. I use my credit card for everything. So why, why am I going to, and I'm a Bitcoin maxi, but why am I going to transact in Bitcoin when I can get 2% cash back on my credit card? Um, you know, especially if I'm not getting an upcharge using my credit card, I walk to the supermarket, it's the same price cash or credit. I'm going to use my credit card. I'm not going to use cash um, and I'll pay it back later. So um, I, I just don't think we're there yet. Everybody uses credit. Um, you know, so I think there would be need to be an incentive to spend in Bitcoin, um, you know, but I think, I think we could see that. I mean, like, you know, I, I mentioned my brother before and he always talks about Dogecoin and like, I think Elon Musk was accepting Dogecoin for payment on different t-shirts or something. I don't know, but he keeps sure. me up to date on, on all of that. But, um, you know, you see different merchants in, in different, uh, you know, in Africa and different, different countries, El Salvador and, and some smaller countries that are accepting more Bitcoin and have more merchants accepting it. And I think maybe it needs to start on that level. And, and as more people get educated and more people are using it, that's when kind of maybe the New York Yankees or New York Mets start implementing it into their, uh, you know, payment processing systems, different things like that. So um, I don't know. I don't know the best answer. I think that Bitcoin is also difficult from an accounting perspective, mm -hmm. uh, from the standpoint of, you know, every time you transact with it, you have the, the merchant has a capital gain or a capital loss. Um, and I'm, I'm sure for a CPA out there, um, you know, there's different software that could consolidate all that info, but uh, I don't know if that's complicated or if it's not. Um, I, I would assume it might be a little complicated to, you know, now, now the merchant needs to either hold that Bitcoin on the balance sheet or they need to sell it. And when they sell it, they have an additional taxable event or, or whatever it is. So, um, you know, I think, I think we're still a few years away from that or, maybe more. I'm not, I'm not sure what the exact timeline looks like, but um, it would be nice to just see more players. I think as more players kind of get into Bitcoin genuinely and not just changing their eyes on Twitter to laser eyes um, as a promotional thing, like genuinely <laughs> accepting Bitcoin. And um, we've dealt with some athletes, um, you know, just specifically at our company and, uh, you know, some athletes I've run into personally just playing ball um, that are big proponents of it. Um, as they cart, you know, they start, living by Bitcoin, I think that's when people start seeing, okay, wow, this guy's not promoting it for any incentive. He, he genuinely believes in it and he's passionate about it. And, you know, what, what's my buddy doing with Bitcoin? I need to get into it. I need to understand it. So I think it, I think it needs to start on a much smaller scale, which it already is. And kind of just as, you know, as more people start talking about it more, you know, it gets brought up more and maybe those meetings with the owners of these teams and, and different things like that. Maybe it starts, um, you know, it starts, it starts, uh, you know, taking on a, a more serious role as a, you know, peer-to-peer -peer, uh, system. So uh, yeah, that would be my best answer on that currently. Absolutely. And you know, the reason I ask before I want your opinion on that, Matt, is because as I said, it had been years, maybe a decade, I don't know, maybe longer than that before I had been to a baseball game, a major league baseball game. And now everything is pretty much digital. Like you're using the ballpark app to have your digital ticket, all this sort of stuff like that, but you're still going through Ticketmaster and you're still paying like the little service fee. And I was like, would it be worth me just paying in sats via lightning to get the same digital ticket? It's just a QR code. And I wouldn't have that fee and it would be instant and it would be confirmed. And it's all the same stuff. And maybe Jack Mahler's is thinking about that, but, um, I'm interested to know your thoughts on it, Matt. And I'm also interested to know whether you think the Rockies or the Mets will implement Bitcoin in their ticketing system first. Who, who would do it first? Sorry. So I think it's going to be between those two teams, probably the Mets because they have a larger market share and being in <laughs> New York, and it's just more of more people being bit Bitcoin inclined would be in the New York metropolitan area, even though Denver would be a great test case for it. 
I was actually thinking it would start at the minor league level, a team like the Savannah Bananas or someone along those lines would go into utilizing Bitcoin for currency first. But to bring up something that Nick talked about, how do you view Bitcoin? Do you view it as an investment or do you view it as a currency? Because it's more of like, I can pay gold, the, the cash equivalent of gold, in certain places. I can't do that everywhere. Are we treating Bitcoin like gold or are we treating it like a currency? And I think that's going to be the the axiom that whatever league, whatever business decides to utilize Bitcoin, it comes down to, am I, because you're trying to have it both ways with crypto, in my opinion. You're trying to have it as this decentralized currency that we base a market on. And you're also trying to leverage it as an investment, as a standard there's 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 a little bit of half stepping on either side and i think that's one of the things that creates these different chains and these different currencies because everybody has a different idea on what crypto actually means in the market and to the overall economy and i think that would be the first question all of these leagues would have to ask because we're seeing a lot of sports use nfts that's the kind of the impetus of this show NFT ticketing, NFT giveaways, things like that. We're seeing Top Shot and NFL All Day dominate on these various rankings because they're the most common NFTs that are being bought month over month, week over week because sports fans love collectibles more than they do members of their own family. So as you decide and delineate what each thing is going to be, we're going to get to that point and it's going to take a while. Like, if you view Bitcoin as currency, you should be mad that you can't use your money to buy things. But if you look at it as an investment, it's like, I'm not going to use my Apple stock to buy a watch. Why would I use crypto for that? I think it's all mindset more than anything. It's an interesting question because, yeah, people are still trying to figure that out. And that's the whole point of layer twos like lightning is that you know, you, you might be able to do that in the way that you never could potentially with gold. Although technically, if you look at the history of gold, people did pay with gold dust in places like, you know, the old West and stuff like that. And technically there are still some States like Utah, where if you really want to, if you have enough gold or silver, you can pay your taxes and that, but that's an outlier. So yeah, it is, it's an interesting question that you bring up there, Matt. And I guess I'm, I'm still just wondering how sports shakes out because, I guess last, like one of the last questions for you, Nick, because we're rounding up here on an hour. Thank you so much for joining us here, giving us your time. We know that it's valuable. You know, something that I that I noticed when I was at the Rockies game that Matt has continually told me is that sports has this almost like religious like element to it. And that the fact that if you're not religious or if you don't believe in whatever higher power, something like that, you can have these sort of religious experiences and be part of something greater through a sports team, especially major league sports teams. And that would almost, it seems like that would be a natural fit with something like Bitcoin, which also has the same elements to it. But sports fans being as rabid as they are, it doesn't seem like a lot of sports fans are super into crypto, whether it's Bitcoin, NFTs, or other chains. I'm interested in your thoughts on that kind of as, as a closing. Yeah, I think before that, just to build off uh, the previous point, um, I don't think Bitcoin is meant to be used yet, uh, you know, peer to peer. Uh, and there's a lot of good podcasts and different people that talk about it. Um, but, you know, we're still on our way to becoming a true store of value first. Um, I'm not going to spend my sats um, when I believe my upside, you know, in, in just buying power, not in dollars, just some buying power could be, you know, a hundred times more than it is today, one day. So I'm not going to spend that today. The goal, you know, it, it is the goal of, you know, for Bitcoin for me is eventually to, you know, become, you know, be on a Bitcoin standard to, to live by Bitcoin and transact in Bitcoin. But I think a, a point, a lot of people that aren't into Bitcoin make is like, Oh, no, nobody transacts, nobody transacts. It. But why would you transact in it right now when, you know, it's, it hasn't really achieved kind of that store of value, um, you know, marker yet. So, you know, you look at Bitcoin compared to gold just in market cap right now, and, and I don't know what the market cap of gold is off the top of my head, but I'm assuming it's somewhere in the $10 trillion range. You know, right now, Bitcoin has, you know, a 20 times upside just to get to the market cap of gold. And kind of once we get there, for, for Bitcoin, the 20x from now to Bitcoin to $10 trillion is a lot easier than from $10 trillion to 20x of that so kind of as we 
as we become more of a store of value, it'll make more sense for people to transact in it because it'll be less volatile, um, you know, relatively speaking. So uh, I don't think we're there yet. Um, and then on the Rockies Mets, I am a Met fan also. Um, Let's go. But, okay, it's okay. Uh, tough, I, tough, I have to be. Tough I'm in Colorado. So, it's a so. rough, it's oh, a cool. rough month. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think New York's just so difficult with like, you know, I was speaking with one of the local uh, politicians here a couple of weeks ago, actually. Um, and, he, you know, we were chatting about it and, and he had a pretty, pretty good grasp on it, but it's just, he was explaining just the challenges and speaking about it um, with other politicians and, and they're just not really good. There's a lot that needs to be done in the U S and specifically in New York, kind of like I mentioned before the bit license. So um, they make it very difficult for people to get involved um, in Bitcoin. So, uh, but your, your last question um, was referring to kind of why, why sports fans aren't embracing Bitcoin or crypto, I guess, as much as they embrace the teams. Uh, I, I think that's a, a biased question, kind of just depending on where you're located. Um, I think um, I have a lot of, all my friends are athletes and a lot of them, a lot of them embrace a lot of different things. I mean, I have group chats with people that were in that Ethereum max thing. Yeah. You know, that Kim Kardashian got sued for yesterday. Uh, today oh yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of like I, like I said before, I think a lot of players like, you know, they're gamblers. Like we're all degenerates at the end of the day, you know, we go to the casino guys, guys, you know, bet on teams and, um, you know, they're looking for, you know, where can I put a couple dollars to make a quick buck? So sure. I think they're very much is still that culture of like guys get behind, you know, a, a certain coin. Um, but I think Bitcoin is just very difficult because you look at the price tag on it. It's always $20,000. Hey man, you don't need, you don't need 20,000 to own a Bitcoin. You can put a dollar in. Yeah. And it's the same with, you know, stock, you know, you could buy split shares of things and, um, you know, like I said, I think the educational piece is, is just still not there yet. Um, and, you know, you, you get somebody to buy, I have my girlfriend buy Bitcoin, um, at 60,000, unfortunately. So she, she wants to kill me every day, but, um, she <laughs> just you know, hold, she she'll be okay. <laughs> yeah. And, and I actually, you know, hopefully no Bitcoiners on here get mad at me, but like I, I had her buy it on Robinhood and I hate Robinhood. I think it's just, you know, you you want to hold the keys to your Bitcoin, right? But sure. I, I wouldn't be able to, if I started going down that rabbit hole, like, hey, you need to self-custody your Bitcoin, she'd be like, I'm not, I don't even know what that means, I'm not buying. I was just like, listen, go on Robinhood, you already use Robinhood, buy Bitcoin. It's a lot simpler to to do it that way, just for an introduction. And now, like, later on, I've been getting her into understanding the proper steps to take with her Bitcoin. But um, it's, it's very difficult, even just for people to self-custody um, you know, it feels safer to actually hold your Bitcoin for a lot of people, just from my experience talking with people on an exchange, because the exchange feels safe. Then in a wallet that, you know, it, it just seems pe people think your money in exchange is just safer. And I think I think as people understand how to take custody of, of their Bitcoin, it's, um, you know, it's just kind of a there's a lot of layers to teaching Bitcoin. And I think the difficult thing, thing for me is onboarding actually and i love to hear what people have to say like kind of how they onboard friends and family it's, it's really interesting to me because there's some people that are really freaking good at it and there's some people that you know have a tough time with it so uh, that that's my biggest challenge day to day is just getting friends and family like hey man like like people come up to me in the gym like are you still like are you losing all your money in bitcoin or like i saw it's down 10 percent. i'm like oh my you don't get it like they don't get it so um you know kind of people are interested in it and everybody will want to own it when it's, you know, hopefully one day up in value. Um, but it's kind of breaking the barrier to what really is Bitcoin is, is the toughest thing in my opinion. And as, as people understand that hopefully more, you know, sports teams get behind it, their fan bases will get behind it and, and different things like that. So. Well, Nick, uh, we're coming to the close of our time here. And just like we don't like to give financial advice on this show, I don't like to give relationship advice, but I think that Ledger hardware wallets, you can engrave the wallets and you could get your girlfriend a Ledger hardware wallet engraved that said, baby, I'm sorry, love Nick. And that would kind of fix everything. So not relationship advice, right? Currently single, don't have a girlfriend. So, um, but just maybe something to think about. Also, uh, I did look up and Nick Carter uh, was with the Backstreet Boys. So my apologies to both of you gentlemen. But we were not talking to Nick Carter today. We were talking to Nick Garland, professional baseball player, 
Bitcoin, self-described Bitcoin maximalist, Bitcoin miner. Nick, before we let you go, can you plug where you work for mining in case anybody wants to get involved in mining or learn more about mining or hit you up, you know, best places to find you? Sure. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate your guys' time today. Um, the company is Simple Mining. Um, so if you just go to simplemining.io, um, you can just go in there, peek around the website or go to our Twitter, Simple Mining IO. Uh, you know, peek around, click on the website, you can book a call or send us an email and, and that'll be the easiest way to get in touch with us. So um, yeah, guys, I appreciate your time today. And you know, I look forward to, to, you know, watching some more of these podcasts and, and staying in touch. Yeah, if you know anybody who you think would want to be a guest on this show, um, yeah, I have, I have some ideas. I have we're some open. Ideas. <laughs> we're open to it. You just, yeah. Well, it'd be, you know, you you want more athletes, it seems, and I think, um, I think it'd be interesting to even have guys that are on the opposite end of me, um, sure. that are like still trying to maybe could explain the struggles for them to get into it um, a little more, uh, you know. So there's definitely a lot of guys um, that I'll reach out to and just stay in touch and. And I'll, uh, I'll see if I can help out anyway. Athletes are athlete adjacent. Thank you for that. Uh, Matt, you want to play us out here? I, I guess so, yeah. I don't have a piano or anything. But thank you so much, Nick, for joining us. You can find information about simplemining.io in the show notes and also ways to reach out to not only Nick, but to me and to Nathan. This has been the Minor Leagues. We took a hack at it. We're going to try again next week. Be well, everybody. See ya. Ooh.